Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Two or three things. Number one is if you're a first-timer, because I'll have a tendency to forget this later on when I'm supposed to say it, if you're here for the first time as a guest this morning, please stop out at the guest table. We've got a nice gift for you. Uh, might even give you a free pizza, blah, 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 you know, so, uh, uh, and some other stuff. We'd just love for you to do that and get your name and, and so that we can know who you are. Um, I think probably I, I should uh, mention two or three people for your benefit, for theirs as well. Um, Dora, Com- Dara- Dora Carmen's mother is 94 years old, and she had surgery yesterday. And, uh, and came through it really, really well. And so uh, I just call that to your attention. And uh, this week, Ron Powell is to go up to Cleveland Clinic and do check him out. And there's always a fright there about uh, malignancies and other things when you get old and gray. And, uh, and, so, and yesterday afternoon, uh, I was told Gary Harrison said that his wife got to come home from the hospital, and Tia said she was going to stop by and check on her directly. So uh, some of our punies, and probably there are more that I don't know about, but uh, those are the ones that come to my mind immediately because Matthew keeps emphasizing that you take home your bulletins because it has a prayer list so that you can keep those folks who are in need of uh, God's protection and healing uh, keep them uh, their names before him. We're in the process of of a series of four messages that we do periodically called Back to Basics because people who uh, are new in the church especially need to know just exactly what is the Bible. Just exactly uh, and, and I'm thrilled that some people took it seriously and are actually reading a book at a time. Alice Kay said she saw something on the Internet where uh, different folks were doing that and reading it as it was written. Uh, today we talk about what is the church. And, um, and I think it's important for you to understand that what, what we see as the church in our culture and around the world, really, is significantly different from what you would have seen in the first century when the church met. The church met together uh, usually in the evenings, in some, usually in somebody's home. The reason it was in the evening is because many of those early converts, when it got out into the Gentile world, were slaves. Over 60% of the Roman Empire were actually slaves. And many of those folks uh, were converted to Christ. And, and so the only time they could come was after dark when the workday was over. And they would meet in people's homes around a little circle. Uh, there seldom was any preaching, believe it or not. Uh, most of the time there was the reading of the Bible because Timothy, for instance, uh, was educated and so uh, the Apostle Paul says, you know, you continue to read the Bible for people when you come to church. And then they would sit around and, and uh, share their faith and encourage each other. Uh, they would pray for people who they were going to try to lead to Christ. And we'll, just, we'll touch on all of that in just a little bit. The visible church, just like the visible Israel, was made up of a mixed multitude. There were unbelievers, there were believers, there were skeptics, there were even the enemies of the church, of Israel, traveling with them. Some who said, let's go back to Egypt. And, and so there, there were, and, and the church as it's gathered. And see, concerning Israel, Jesus said, not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Just because you have a religious facade doesn't mean that you're going to go to heaven. And Jesus said, you know, at the end, I'm going to say, depart. I, I, never, I, don't, even, I don't even know you. Adios, amigo. Well, maybe you wouldn't even say amigo. I don't know. 
So we, we need to understand that the church as it gathers today has its background in when the church made the decision to become an evangelistic center rather than a gathering of Christians. And that made things altogether different. Because in the early church, that wasn't the case. Christians gathered, had communion always. And, um, and the scripture was read always, if there was somebody there who could read and write. So it was, it was totally different, far more simple and less complicated than it is today. The money that we spend on buildings and programs and so on and so forth, they could use to help people. And I'm proposing today that we reconsider how we spend a lot of our money and our time. And we at least consider the possibility that we probably ought to be concerned primarily about people and less about social programs. We'll talk about that quickly in just a minute. When Jesus addressed the problem of a mixed multitude at, of, of, the, of the church, or, and he was talking about Israel in particular at that time, he talked about sheep and goats. He said, because, and the reason he mentioned sheep and goats is because everybody in Israel knew about sheep and goats. When I first went to Israel many years ago for the first tour made around, I'd get up very early in the morning and go out and see what was going on. And, and there in the city of Jerusalem, you would see shepherds leaving their home. They had sheepfolds right in the town. And the shepherd would be leading out, and there would be a few goats in mixed in with his sheep. Now, the reason the goats were mixed in with the sheep, sheep are, are kind of stupid when it comes to defending themselves. A goat will actually go and butt and, and challenge a wolf and will butt it and, and, and pretend. So they like to have, because uh, they didn't have, always have, they didn't have sheep dogs like a lot of people later on had. And so Jesus used that as an illustration. He said, you know, Israel and the church is going to be made up of, of both, but it's not our job to separate them. And the, and the illustration that he used about that, because the people have had a tendency to exercise church discipline and say, they're not a Christian, kick them out. And, and uh, they, we caught them smoking a cigar, kick them out. And you know, We caught that one guy eyeing a good-looking woman, which wouldn't, wouldn't be any men left. If it, and so anyway, he says, you, that's not your job. It's to go, that will be for the Lord to do. And the reason that will be for the Lord to do, is we can only look on the outward appearance of people and what we see, but the Lord has the capacity to look upon the hearts of people and make the judgment based upon what he sees in the, in the heart of people. And so if you, if you were to go over to the book of, uh, of Galatians, when Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, Galatia is a province, not a city, he wrote to them and he, he reminded them that when you become a Christian, the day after you're baptized, you're not really much different as far as your behavior, your, your habits, your so on, than you were the day before. And there's a good reason for that. Because now we, we have a different hope that we had before, but our behavior stays the same and we have to mature just like babies grow up, and he uses that illustration in the Bible. We, we have to grow up in our faith. You don't, you're not a mature Christian the day after you're baptized. You're just a babe in Christ. And so we have to be patient with people. And uh, the difference is they then have received in their body the Holy Spirit who can do remarkable, even things that they had never dreamed they could do because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we still have the carnal, the flesh that we're living with, a war starts. Now, Satan, he doesn't, he doesn't spend a lot of time with uh, unbelievers. They're already in his camp. He spends his time trying to give believers a hard time. Just as soon as Jesus was baptized, he tackled him. Out into the desert they went. Satan's tried to, to tempt him uh, concerning the things of, of the Father. 
So the minute we become a Christian, you can expect Satan's attack. He may use other people. He may do it himself. He may use imps of hell. I don't know what, how it'll be in your particular case, but I can pretty well promise you somewhere along the line, things are going to get tough because of the presence of the devil and the fact that... And so when we become a Christian, within each one of us, there's a war that takes place between the spiritual and the carnal. That's going to happen to all of us. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian people, and he explained it like this, starting at verse 16 of chapter 5. He said, so I say, live by the Spirit. So you make your commitment to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit as, as, the, as God's will is revealed to us when we study the Scriptures. So he says, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all of us have a sinful nature because of what Adam did. Now, he says, for the sinful nature that we all have desires what is contrary to the, what, to the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit contrary to the sinful nature. They, he said, are in conflict with each other so that you don't even know what you want. So he points out that within us, you can expect this to happen. The temptations that came to Jesus. Now, and do you remember one time Peter opened his mouth and got into trouble, which wasn't that unusual. He was a little mouthy anyway. And, and, and Jesus looked at him and told him, he said, Peter, you know, the flesh is willing, uh, it, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That struggle was going on. And, and so we have this pointed out in Scripture and, uh, and once you're saved, you can rest assured the battle begins. And he's going to continue to aggravate us whenever he sees a weakness in us until the day that we go be with Jesus. Now, I'm going to take a few minutes here and talk just quickly, move through what the church is not. Because we have a world out here trying to tell us what the church ought to be rather than allowing the New Testament to tell us what the New Testament church really is. And a lot of us have been deluded through the years and allowed the pressure of the world to, to help uh, to conform. And Jesus said, now watch out for this. The Bible says, watch out. Don't be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of, uh, of your mind. And so, uh, you know, that, that, the church has undergone a lot of pressure from the world and still does. They would prefer, the world would prefer that the church be a service club. But I'm telling you this, folks. We make a serious mistake if we allow them to pressure us into being uh, in, in just doing primarily the things that the Kiwanis and the, uh, and the uh, Rotary Club and the Lions Club. I, I remember a cute little story about that because I was uh, president of the Kiwanis many years ago. And when I got ready to join the Kiwanis, somebody said to me here at church, he said, well, you know, you know what you're doing, don't you? And I said, well, I hope so. Why? And he said, well, here's the way it really is. The Rotary Club owns the town. The Kiwanis Club runs the town. And the Lions Club enjoys the town. Now, you all make out of that whatever you want to, but there's some truth to it, too. Uh, but the church was never meant to be a service club. And we'll see what it was meant to be in just a little bit. The church never was, and I get this, the church never was a place to go. It never was. Now, it is true when you look in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews that he says not to forsake the assembling of, the, uh, of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And then, and, and he says, and, and in, if you go on, follow up what he said there in the 10th chapter, he said, and the purpose for coming together is to encourage each other because of that struggle that we're going through to overcome our own sinful nature. So it never was meant to, because see, the early church didn't have church buildings. This didn't come along until somebody, some dummy in the church said, well, the pagans have buildings, why don't we build one? And so you spend tons of money. If you went to Europe and you would look at all of those beautiful, ornate church buildings, and people were more concerned about the burning of the church in Paris than they were about the people of Paris. That's a problem. 
and we'll touch on that. The church never was, and, and listen to me carefully, the church never was meant to be people who obey a set of rules. Old Testament with Israel, that was true. Get the men circumcised and here are the rule book. Obey it. In the New Testament, we were told, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will guide you as you study the Word of God to help you become a person, a man, or a woman of God. But if you look carefully in the Scriptures, he's, Jesus, in numerous places, warns people about the problem of turning the church into a rule book because minute it becomes a, the Bible becomes a rule book for the church rather than a, than a tool of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to equip us and help us mature, the minute it becomes a rule book, judgment sets in. We start judging people because of whether they obey or don't obey the rules. So you have to really be careful. If you look in, in the book of Matthew, and there, I could go to several other places here, but in the 11th chapter of the book of Matthew, starting at, I'd say, what, verse 13 maybe, he says this, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So up until John, he means John the Baptist. And, and, and so what he's saying is, all of the Old Testament law and the prophets were given by God for that time. But what John did is he introduced Jesus because Jesus said, you know, of all the prophets and so on, that none were greater than John. Why did he say that? Because John had the privilege of introducing the Messiah, the fulfillment of what the Old Testament looked forward to. You remember when Jesus came to be baptized of John? John looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he had that marvelous privilege. So I divide the Bible up this way. Now other people do it differently, but maybe they'll catch on. Loosen up a little. It's okay. I, here's the Old Testament. Then there's the ministry of Christ. It's primarily in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then starting at the book of Acts, you have the church age. And that'll end too when Christ comes again. So... I just wanted to touch on something, and because here locally, there's been a really big deal over uh, Serve Day, and the big signs, and a lot of people participating. I've had people say, well, why aren't you all participating? Well, you can if you want to, but as a, as a congregation, we chose not to, because you don't have to be a Christian to paint a yellow stripe on the corner of a street. Nothing wrong with that. But any service club could do that. What I'm telling you is we have made up our mind in the leadership area that we want to be a church that focuses us on helping people starting with our own people. There are people here today that, I, that if you were to interview them would, would tell you they came here, they found help, and there were no strings attached. You, you help people. And, and, uh, and, and so we want to do just that because here's what happens. When you help people, we are expanding the kingdom of God. And our purpose, according to Jesus, is seek first the kingdom of God before you do all these other things. So what is the message that was preached in the New Testament? What is that message? The message by Jesus if you look carefully in the New and we just read passages of Scripture to confirm what I'm telling you, the message, because, see, the church was not an evangelistic center. The church was a place where Christians came together for the purpose to be instructed and equipped to go out where non-Christians were and, be so, and to be sufficiently equipped that you could lead those people to Christ. See, I happen to believe, I don't believe in a clergy system. I just don't think the New Testament has that at all. It came along later on, and in, 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 in it, I don't think it's a good thing. It's, I don't want anybody to call me Reverend Rawlings. My name is Scott. It, it'll, but now, if you put Reverend Scott Rawlings on a check, I'll still cash it. <laughs> but, 
But I'll tell you, there's no biblical basis for referring to anybody as reverend. In fact, I can show you from the scriptures, if we just had enough time, that the Bible teaches that only God is to be revered. To love one another, we'll talk about that. And some are equipped to teach, that, but these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to be looking at. The message that Jesus preached, according, and uh, if you look carefully, when Jesus, uh, look at, say, the 17th verse of the fourth chapter of Matthew, it says this, From the time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus dealt with sin in repentance, and his emphasis was on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are used interchangeably in the Bible. They both mean exactly the same thing. So that was the message that he preached. And if you were to go to Luke and, and other places in Matthew, you would see that Jesus persisted. That was his message. He mentioned the, the church, that's for sure. we talk about that in a minute. But he spent most of his time talking about the, the kingdom of God. And, and he preached that. If you were to look at another passage uh, in the 10th chapter of Matthew, what, verse 35 or so, uh, that in that uh, in the in the tenth chapter, you you'll see that he spends a lot of time talking about the kingdom of God and how it exists and what it's composed of. Now let's move on because time waits for no man. The eleven apostles, the eleven apostles. At, at one time, even 12, before Judas hanged himself. Let's look at the message, because their primary message was to go first to the Jews. Jesus told them, go you know, first to Israel and then to the rest of the world. And let's look at the message that these 11 apostles preached, or, the, or all 12 of them before, as I say, Judas hanged himself. Let's look at the message they preached to the Jewish people. And here, uh, in, in the 16th chapter of Matthew, the, Jesus had taken his disciples to the northernmost part of Israel, right at the foot of Mount Hermon. That's where the Syrian border is today. And Jesus was sitting there with his disciples, and then he stood up to talk. Now, here's the interesting little thing. Ordinarily... We have it just the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus stood, we stand, the preacher stands here and the people sit. You sleep better when you sit. And, 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 but in Jesus' case, he sat and they stood. And the only time he stood is when he had a special point to make. And he would do that and everybody they would say, uh, oh, 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 he stood. Let's hear what he has to say. And the message then was this. He, had, he asked his disciples, he said, uh, who am I? Who am I? And they said, ah, well, you're one of the prophets, John the Baptist, so on and so forth. And then he finally said to Peter, you know, who am I? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. That's what the word means. Christ means the anointed one. He's the king of the kingdom. And Jesus responded to Peter that way, and he said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And as a result of that, he said, I'm going to give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of God. Well, what were those keys? The keys to the kingdom of God is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first gospel sermon that was ever preached is recorded in the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts by Peter, whom Jesus said, I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which is the preaching of the gospel, which, as I said, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the message they preached. In fact, he said, I'm, I'm, and he said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on the confession you made that I am the Christ and the gates of Hades will not be able to overcome the church. It's going to succeed. And then he goes on to say, and I'll give you, and remember, that's when he went on to say, and I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. So keep that in mind. Those early guys were to preach the kingdom of God. 
And the church then was to be the mechanism through which people must pass in order to get into the kingdom. That's why Jesus died to create a church so that we would have a roadway, a path, a way into God's eternal kingdom. The church is temporary. This is a church age. It will pass away, but the kingdom of God will live forever. So it's important for us to get there. What was the, the, uh, then Jesus appointed an apostle to the Gentiles, all who were not Jews, designated for the purpose of preaching to the Gentiles. The church in the early part of of the book of Acts tried to do what only God can do and, and wanted to appoint one of their own people to be an apostle, but they were incorrect. God already had a guy picked out named Saul of Tarsus that he was going to give specifically designate, even though he was a card-carrying Jew, he was going to be a a missionary to Gentiles. (coughs) Excuse me. And so when the Apostle Paul was headed back to Jerusalem, taking an offering for the people back there who were really hungry and having a hard time, he stopped along the way, and, and a group of overseers from the church in Ephesus met him late one evening. Paul preached that evening to them till midnight. Eutychus, you remember, Eutychus fell out the window. It was so hot in that upper room, they didn't have air conditioning. And so out the room, he he fell out. But Paul preached until midnight, so I don't want you belly aching if I preach till 12 o'clock. So so here in the 25th chapter, or, or the 20th chapter of the book of Acts where this is recorded, It's in verse 25 that he says this, Now I know that none among you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He said he was telling these overseers goodbye. But what did he say he had preached to them? Preaching the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Why? The the kingdom of God is eternal and the church is temporary. But the church then is essential for you go through the church in order to get into the kingdom. That's the way he set it up. But the church is temporary, and the kingdom is eternal. That's the reason in the opening chapter of the book of John, John says you must be born again, because, and if you're born again, you then have access to the kingdom of God, because the church didn't exist then. It was, that was done under the the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because I told you, I divide the Bible, Old Testament, ministry of Christ, New Testament. We're New Testament church. We're New Testament Christians. Now, with that said, we've got about 20 minutes to move on. It's really difficult to make this clear to people because all they see is the church, and so they don't talk about the kingdom much. And that's okay. That's all right. I understand that. The same problem existed for Jesus as he was trying to teach people about the kingdom of God. Most of the parables in the New Testament, a parable is, a, is an earthly story about something you understand to illustrate a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. It's a little story that, that put in the framework of something you really understand to use that to teach about something that's a spiritual truth relative in almost every case to the kingdom of God. These were called parables of the kingdom, if you look at them and read about them. He used the idea of a family. Why did he use the family? You know, you're born into the family of God, and he talks about the new birth, and you must be born again, and so on in the third chapter there. And and he says in John 3, 16, and if you are born, you're born into the kingdom of God, and and, and, and since the kingdom of God is eternal, Jesus said you can have eternal life. That's a pretty good deal. But that was the point that he was trying to make here. He also, and and I pointed out to you, as I've mentioned before, that the term, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, are essentially interchangeable in the Bible. It doesn't make any difference which one you use. And then things got a little sticky. In some of these parables, things get a little binding. And and the one that I found to be especially so is uh, is recorded in the 13th chapter of the book of Luke starting at about verse 22. And, uh, and, and here Jesus is, is saying to them, uh, tell you guys, um, there's some strings attached, for lack of a better way of saying it. 
starting at, mm, what did I say, verse 22, I think, to save time, he said, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Jesus says in, in another passage here in Matthew that the way or the road to eternal life is narrow and hard and few that will find it. And somewhere along the line, we made up our minds. And these are church leaders who, I think with the best of intentions, made the mistake of saying the only thing that counts is just get people saved and don't worry about anything else. But the New Testament really doesn't support that at all. To be saved is essential to get to heaven. We're not discussing whether it's necessary. Absolutely, you must be born again. No, no, we're not arguing about that. But you see, when we turn the church into an evangelistic center, it ceased then to be a place where we could help Christians mature into the kind of people that can change the world. A newborn Christian is not very strong in changing the world. He can give his testimony about being saved. But he can't give a testimony about the power of the Holy Spirit in in changing our world. And Jesus wanted us to be world changers. He wanted us to be changers to the extent that he told his disciples when they asked him how to pray. He said, you know, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's significant, folks. But to know what to make to bring here to earth you first of all have to know what's going on in heaven if you're going to bring the principles of heaven to earth and if you someone were to ask you what are the principles of heaven most of us would go duh so in in order to do what Jesus asked us to do we had to be more than babes in Christ in fact if you read the opening three chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians the apostle Paul just scorched them just absolutely scorched and most of you would get up and leave if I were straightforward and harsh as he was with that church. He said, you suckers are, he didn't say suckers. Uh, he, he said, you Corinthians, you Corinthians are still babes. I can't talk to you like you were grown up. You're drinking milk when you ought to be eating meat. And he just really keeps on and just beats them with a stick almost verbally. Because they're, they're comfortable with remaining babes. It's like someone said not long ago, and Matthew mentioned it, when somebody said, well, I got a ticket to heaven. That is so naive and silly. God expects more of us than tick to people that buy tickets to heaven. He didn't save us to sit on the premises and gloat about having a ticket to heaven. He saved us to bring the principles of heaven to earth. We're to be world changers. In the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, and by the way, in another couple of weeks, we start studying the book of Ephesians, and we go through those six chapters verse by verse, and we want you to start reading it almost almost immediately so that you'll be prepared to hear what we say when we study through it. But in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, we'll find this out when we get there, the Apostle Paul uses the, um, the human body as an illustration of the nature of the church. He put it this way. He said, you know, just as Christ is, uh, is the head, he actually made an illustration that most of the young ones coming on today can't get their arms around. He said, just as the man is the head of the family and the head of the wife, Christ is head of the church. And I've had women come up to me and say, who said my husband would be the head of the home? I said, God, take it up with him. I don't want to hear about it. And, and so... And if you, don't, if you don't see that, you can't get your arms around it. But he says, 
Christ is the head of the church, and, and we, as his followers, are the arms, the legs, the mouth. We're the ones who carry out what the head tells us to do, because that's the way a body functions. If you pick your nose or scratch your behind, your head tells you to do that. My, my wife really doesn't like for me to talk that way, so tell her to plug her ears. I've got some things I need to talk to you about that you can understand. She's a little more sophisticated than I am. Just a little. So we need to understand and, and get clearly in our mind, if we can, the nature of the, the church. He is saying then the church is actually the members of the body that, where Christ is the head. So he's using the human body to illustrate how the church is to... Is to you see, get this straight in your mind. The reason I don't believe in a clergy system or a pope or all that other stuff is I think Christ is the head of the church. And we all are members of his body, to use that same illustration, to carry out the will of the head, meaning Christ himself. In other places, he uses an, or he uses an orchard, he uses a vineyard, he talks about sheep and goats, and we've already mentioned that. In one case, he talks about money. He said, oh, you know, if a woman loses a coin in the house, uh, the kingdom of God is like that. You should seek the kingdom. So uh, like a woman, if she loses a silver dollar in the house, what she's going to do? She's going to sweep the whole house, move the furniture, do everything she has to do in order to find that dollar. He says that's the way you should be about the kingdom of God. You should seek the kingdom of God and, and, and the will of the king with all of your heart. Is it raining? Praise God. Now you can stay here for a while and we'll get wet. Now, he also told a story that all of you know about a guy who had two sons. And, and, um, and, and one of them goes off and lives a life of selfishness and sin, and the other one stays at home, and the father is only concerned about, he, he would look every day to see, is that, where, is that, where is that boy that's lost? And so he's, what he's telling us is this, lost people should be our concern. And, and we should really care about them and not, and, and so he, touch, he talks about a wedding, he talks about a fishnet. The fishnet he used, and the fishnet then was not a seine like we use across the river or used to. It is a net that they learned to throw. It's a round thing, and it has ropes on it, and it goes down around the fish, and then you pull the rope, and it closes in the net. You pull it ashore, and when you get there, in that net, you'll have good fish and bad. You'll have a water dog or two. You'll have those things that you throw back because you can't eat them. And then you have those that you keep. In fact, if you were to go to Israel sometime, or you've been there, you've taken a little ride on a boat out on the Sea of Galilee, and you come back, you eat in a restaurant, and they serve you a whole little fish about yay big, got full of bones. It's kind of a perch. And it's and it's called and they say it's Peter's fish. That's a part of the sales pitch they give you there. Actually, the fish tastes pretty good. But the point of the net is that you there that within the kingdom of uh, of the if within the church there are those Jesus pointed out just like in Israel, it's a mixed multitude. But we're to love them all because we can't read the hearts of people and shouldn't be judging them because he said, "Judge not, lest you be judged." But the same measuring stick you used to judge others. Stay away from that. And that's the reason Matthew keeps saying the doors are open to everybody. The doors are open to everybody. And what you want, what we're, our goal is, is for you to be one of those Christians who know for sure you're going to go to heaven when you die. Amen. Not just wonder and hope, you know, heads I win, tails you lose deal. But you know you're going to go to heaven when you die. Not because you're good enough, but because God's grace and your faith is sufficient. Because isn't it wonderful, the Bible, we worry about great faith. And great faith is wonderful. But Jesus said, if you got the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you got faith. But what I want to be able to do as a, as a pastor of a church, what I want to be able to do is for you who sit there and listen to, uh, to us preach to you, I want you to know before you leave this building, 
I am going to go to heaven when I die, and I know for sure it's going to happen, not because of how good I am, but because of my faith in Jesus who has paid the price for my sins and guaranteed me eternal life. I've been born again. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I intend to let him use me to, to, to help change our world. And you change the world, not through economics and other things that the world tries to tell you. You change the world by helping people one at a time. And we must love them. He talks about a, a farmer that sows seeds. I understood that. I grew up on a farm. We had about seven to ten acres of, the, of corn. And, and when you plant corn, the way because we, we didn't have these fancy things that put it in the ground ten rows at a time, we had a corn planter that you put in the ground, pull it this way, put two seeds in, take it, put your foot on it, da 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 da. Then you look back over your corner back here, and about a hundred yards behind you, there are three old crows digging it out as fast as you put it in. And so, you know, you learn that stuff. And so Jesus was actually using these illustrations because those people did all of those things and understood them. And he said, here's the way I'm illustrating the nature of the kingdom of God. Now, let's move on towards its quitting time. We've learned this. The church is a narrow doorway that we must use to pass through in order to enter the kingdom of God. The church, the kingdom of God is a divine, supernatural existence. The church is supernatural. It's not natural. It fights against everything that's natural because it's spiritual. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom that is eternal, created by a God who is eternal, who had no beginning or end. The church is an extension, then, of the ministry of Christ himself. He's the head of the church. He's the king of the kingdom. And so he came to earth, spent 30 years here, uh, uh, 33 years here, three years in, ministry, in public ministry, showing us the things that he really cared about. And one of the things that he cared about was helping the people nobody else cared about. People helping people. God equipping us. And he went to people who were demon-possessed. He went to people who had diseases that, that caused them to be quarantined. He, had, he helped people who had a real need. And their need could only be met through supernatural power. So the God gives his people, called Christians, the presence of his Holy Spirit to give us supernatural power to deal with problems the world can't touch. And what's the most important thing? Well, I, I think if you look at the Scripture carefully and systematically, I think that you can see what he, he, he said. Because he told us, he said, Now I want the principles of the kingdom of God to come to earth. What's the greatest principle of the kingdom of God? The number one thing that's there. I think you can agree with me. I don't know what that is. This thing dying or is that thing working okay? Who's doing bong bong bong? I'll take a drink and maybe I'll quit. Yeah, I quit. Okay. What's the no I didn't. <laughs> so what's the number one thing? It may be dying battery may be dying. What's the number one thing? I think it's a four letter word. I think it's love. I think it's love, and I think love, as defined in the New Testament, is supernatural. I may have to get one of these other things directly if this thing's going to be with Jesus. Okay, let's keep on going and just kind of swing and sway with the beat of the music here. Okay, if you agree with me that that, that is true, let's talk about something just for a few minutes. I hate that sound. Let me explain to you a circumstance that took place and the result of what took place, in my opinion, was the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. It was on October the 2nd on 2006. A, uh, Jimmy, you going to come fix it? Okay. 
Anyway, he's Mr. Fix. Anyway, a guy came into Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and, and he backed his truck up next to a little one-room schoolhouse. He walked in, he barricaded the door, carried a gun in with him, lined the little girls up toward the, the front of the class, about 13 of them, and began to execute them one at a time. He murdered five little girls, shot five others that ultimately survived in one way or the other. It was an Amish one-room schoolhouse that many of you will remember the incident. What you probably don't remember is what took place afterwards. The Amish leaders went to the widow because the guy who killed the kids ultimately shot himself. So there were six that died, including the murderer himself. The Amish leaders went to the widow of the guy who killed himself who had murdered the children and said, here's what we're going to do. We want to invite you to come to the funeral of the children and we will go with you to the funeral of your husband, the murderer. And we're going to support you not to give you a hard time. In fact... What is commonly known to be true, it's a a recorded fact, is these Amish farmers got together and started a foundation for the widow and the children of the murderer so that they would be able to get an education. This became such a public thing all over our country that another foundation was started by some neighbors who weren't Amish to help pay the medical bills for the children who had gone to the five children who had gone to the hospital who had been shot but did survive. The last time I checked, they'd raised in excess of four and a half million dollars to pay the medical bills for those families because, you see, the Amish do not have medical insurance. They don't buy it. They have what they call religious... What I'm telling you is this. When God is in charge and people love the way Jesus loved, wasn't it he who said to those who were killing them, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing? Wasn't it Jesus who looked to the thief who deserved to be on the cross and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise? If we will learn, if we will learn through the path, it's not natural. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, if we will learn to be as loving and forgiving in an extension of the ministry of Christ as these Amish were there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the world will take notice. Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that others may see your good works and glorify to the extent that others will glorify your Father which is in heaven. So I'm saying... I have no objections to people putting up our city. I mean, we painted a, a, a great old big fence around a bunch of dead people a few years ago. The problem is we thought we were doing a good thing, but it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. What we must do is reconsider what we must do as believers so that he can empower us with the presence of the Holy Spirit to help people who don't get help any other way, to to get the other end of the log that they're carrying, to give them a hand, not to criticize them, to give them hope when they have no hope. We want to be an extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what the true church really is, and that's what God saved us to do. The church, in conclusion, I, I I wrote this down to pass it on to you. The church is the one, it is the group of folks who are bound for heaven and they know it. There are men and women that God has called, that's what the word church means. If you hear the word kirk or kirke, 
it, that's the German for church. Captain Kirk could have been called Captain Church. These and it and the ecclesia, where we get the word ecclesiastical, means the ek out kaleo called. The, these are the people that God has called out of the world into Christ Jesus to complete His ministry. We're then added to God's congregation because he keeps the books and then he fills us with his Holy Spirit in order to carry out his work that can't be done in the flesh, can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit and loving people that have done us wrong is something we have to learn to do because all of us have been done wrong. I had the opportunity yesterday, and I'll tell you this in closing, some people who had left us at the time the church split here and we hugged them and welcomed them here in a luncheon meeting as though they were old friends we hadn't seen for a long time and even though we had gone through the pain and grief of heartache of of seeing the bride of Christ raped in public and all the bad news that went with it we're at the place now when we can forgive them and love them and, that's, and, and we have to be able to even go beyond that if we're going to extend the ministry that Jesus started here on earth. When you know that you're being used by the Holy Spirit to carry out the ministry of Jesus Christ, you can live with the assurance that you have eternal life. Amen? Uh, six or seven of you do. Lord, dismiss us with a sense of your abiding presence. Thank you for giving us citizenship in the kingdom of God. Thank you for making it possible through Jesus on the cross and offering to us an opportunity to be ministers of Jesus Christ in his church and called into his congregation to do his will here on earth as it's done in heaven. Dismiss us with a sense of your abiding presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.